The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. The Fed signals it will slash rates by 75 basis points next year, sparking a rally on Wall Street, with the Dow closing above 37,000 points for the first time, as Jerome Powell reinforces the FOMC's dovish turn. Today we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Given how far we have come, along with the uncertainties and risks that we face, the committee is proceeding carefully. The 10-year Treasury yield dips below 4% for the first time in four months, while Double Line Capital CEO Jeffrey Goodlack warns of a turbulent 2024. We'll get into that phase, I think, in the second quarter or so of next year, where bonds don't need stocks, but stocks won't be participating the way bonds will. So that's, that's how I think about the pivot, but I also think it's going to be a year for, of, of great volatility. Well, if you love central bank action, it doesn't stop there with the SNB, the Norge Bank, the Bank of England and the ECB all delivering key decisions today. Deutsche Bank board member Alex von Zermullen told to CNBC that central bank policy is working. That gives space for central banks to then create impetus and stimulus later in four, so we'll call it end of Q2, 24 onwards. Cut rates. And European leaders meeting in Brussels today with additional funding for Ukraine top of the agenda amid stiff opposition from Hungary. You know it's a big day when we're at the wall. It's the pivot, right? And we got the Fed pivot. It really was. I mean, I genuinely was taken by surprise. I think loads of us were taken by surprise by the speed of the change. In we, we, I think we got one thing right. <laughs> I got one thing right. That, that, that we, the rate was not going to move. I mean, everyone knew that. That was the slam dunk, 100% to that one. But the language from Jay Powell, the change in the dot plot, was quite extraordinary. It was the biggest pivot, pirouette, call it what you like, that we've seen in central bank action, certainly this year and maybe in a lot longer. We saw in the lead up though, I think the messaging was very, very interesting. Some market participants are saying, look, we're probably unlikely to get the Fed talking a lot about the rate cut scenario next year because they don't want the market to put in more rate cuts than what they already have. So they might be more hawkish of anything. But others were saying, look, they've got to start recalibrating. They've got to start signaling if they are going to be cutting. That's going to be happening soon. But it was much sooner, I think. I think many of us didn't necessarily expect it this month in December. Everything about it, because we were analysing this time yesterday the CPI data as well. The, 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 the core figure is still at 4%. There are still elements of the, the complex that is inflation and core inflation in the States that is still remarkably high. The core inflation, the services sector, the shelter side, the wage side of the equation. There are a lot of issues here where people still think it's a little bit too hot. And, and the thing that changed the most for me it is the fact that Jay Powell 
isn't worried about the excitement in the bond market, isn't worried about the excitement in the, the two to five to 10 year as well, the 10 year plummeting yield there as well, uh, which he has previously talked about his concern about um, markets staying tighter in terms of doing the work for the Fed when we got to 5%. Yeah. Now we're circa 4%. Does we, a lot of us thought, me, I thought, genuinely, that actually that would mean that he has to be more terse in his language, but quite the opposite. He, didn't, he doesn't seem to care. It's a dual mandate. That was the message that came through. It's not a, a solo focus on one aspect being inflation. Unemployment matters too. That came through clearly. And I know some banks must be somewhat relieved that that also pulled forward their expectations. Remember those sitting out in the marketplace saying the fourth quarter is when we'll see the first rate cuts next year. Those, those assumptions were moved just ahead of the Fed. I'm sure some of those banks are relieved. And I think everyone knows which bank that is. But uh, what we saw certainly signaling yesterday around the 2024. The only thing I will add is this is such a swift turnaround. And again, I, I don't mean to be a donkey about this. I don't mean to be miserable and grumpy about it. But, but the Fed has moved so aggressively in its language, to my mind, and we'll get the views of some brilliant experts later on. They're all queued up. But, but does that mean the Fed's worried about something? Now, I know everyone's looking at the inflation story saying, yay, defeated, yay, you know, transitory, maybe it was. And it was well, after 500 base points of high, it's funny how the transitory's back again. But, but has the Fed seen something in the data because it has the most data points than anyone else, that it's worried about? Uh, if so, because why else would you move so swiftly on such a pivot? At this point, you just have to relax and enjoy the Santa Claus rally, don't you? We've got it on markets. We've got it uh, equity stocks, another momentum leg high here. So Santa Claus rally very much intact at this point. And we got it on the bond side, didn't we? Uh, the rally that all those market participants have been positioning around. Well, in case you missed it, the Fed held rates at a 22-year high Wednesday. But fresh forecasts gave a more dovish outlook for the future rate path. The dot plot summary showed the FOMC members believe the central bank is finished hiking. Policymakers expect 75 basis points of cuts next year and a further percentage point in 2025. Markets went even further than the dot plot in the wake of yesterday's decision, pricing in 150 basis points of cuts in the next 12 months. And of course, that was always one of the key risks the markets would move again more aggressively. Yeah, well, the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, as we've been, as we've been talking about, said policymakers do not expect further hikes to be needed. We decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Given how far we have come, along with the uncertainties and risks that we face, the committee is proceeding carefully. We will make decisions about the extent of any additional policy firming and how long policy will remain restrictive based on the totality of the incoming data, the evolving outlook, and the balance of risks. Well, let's walk our way through these market indices stateside. A record on the Dow, and you can see through 37,000 points uh, climbing through that benchmark uh, and exceeding previous record that was set back in January 2022. So at those highs uh, rolling onto the S&P 500 through 4,700 for the first time since January 2022. So the market, again, just reclaiming some of these, these fresh uh, levels that we haven't seen for a long time. The Nasdaq, again, back in focus as well. So fresh 52-week highs right across 
across from the major boards. For me, what was fascinating, uh, if you take a look at uh, the positioning around all of the different market indices, tech, of course, in focus every time we get signals from the central bank that uh, we're getting off that plateau and going down into some sort of descent. It is positive for this part of the world. Microsoft didn't play, and that was curious, but Apple certainly in focus, 1.6% higher. Very slim range on Alphabet as well, and perhaps that's a nod to some of the plays we've had around the AI story lately. NVIDIA up nine tenths of a percent, by by no means a runaway trade. Tesla, exactly right. Tesla, the momentum stock. When the market rallies, this is the stock you watch. But the next sector is the one that well and truly accelerated. It was stunning to see the gains that you had in the Fang Plus stocks versus the banks. You're talking about the banks. Yeah, so we had 1.9% on Fang Plus stocks. We had near on 5% in the KBE and the bank stocks. <laughs> well, this is amazing. And, 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 and there was other thing, the Russell 2 Craig was surging as well. But because, look at this, Bank of America up 4.2%. Yeah, four and a quarter. Who was it? Next time we go to the start of the rate hiking cycle, who is that person who says, oh, the banks do much, much better at the start of a hiking cycle. And now the banks are seeing such relief that we're perhaps at the end of the rate hiking cycle. And perhaps we're going to see a rate cutting cycle which is again the same argument I have every time we see the start of a hike cycle, that actually, um, because of the concern about the economy and the delinquencies, that's what weighs on these banks rather than the express increase in the net interest margin. It's a tightrope, isn't it? And almost Goldilocks here, where you want the margin expansion story to plump up those NIMS, but you don't want the provisioning to be ramping up because of all those non-performing loans. And I think what we've had, it has been Goldilocks. The margins have been pretty good. A little bit of demand has fallen away, but you've also seen some of these banks Goldilocks on their share price performance. True, but on the positioning, it's not like we've had going into other cycles where the banks have been extraordinarily concerned about everything souring in the portfolio. You've had a little bit of provisioning, not an extraordinary amount of it. And I think what you're seeing a reflection of uh, a better story playing out for some of these things. Yeah, and this is why you and I love arguing so much, because so many different elements. But, but, But in the spring of this year, was that mini banking crisis, the regional banking crisis, a couple of them going to the wall, was actually the moment where the banks actually saw such a, a brilliant bonus because everyone thought, crikey, we better go to the systemically important banks. We better go to the ones that aren't going to go bust, regardless of whether we're getting any bang for our buck on our deposits. And let us remind ourselves that the average deposit rates in the United States have gone up from 0.06% to 0.46. Yeah. At the same time, we've seen 500 basis points plus on rate hikes. It's pathetic. Credential standards a matter right when it comes yeah. to banks if you're judging risk but why this is so important is because it signals that some breadth and the market rally from what we've had away from the Magnificent Seven. It tells you there are other trades in town. I want to take you to Treasuries and what we saw, because uh, don't forget, mid-October, we were hugging that 5% mark on the 10-year. So we've dropped well over 100 basis points, 3.97. The handle, not even a four now, it's a three. The two-year, the short end, uh, we're at 4.36. I think that's interesting too, as uh, we saw a little bit of movement there, but not a lot, right? The heavy lifting really in the 10 and also in the five-year. So we saw a lot of movement. I wonder if anyone's going to start talking about the inversion again. What are that? Well, that augurs for an economy historically. Maybe they won't. Let's have a look at the dollar crosses. The dollar uh, index fell 0.9% yesterday. Um, what this means, of course, is for the other side of the pair is all kinds of headaches for other central banks globally are thinking, crikey, what do we do now? We haven't necessarily slayed our inflation dragon. Are we behind the curve as well? So very interesting looking at some of these pairs. Uh, dreadful data out of the UK yesterday. Let's be brutally honest about it. Uh, the pound 126 now. Uh, Euro dollar 109. We've got great coverage later on of the ECB. 
Uh, dollar yen is very interesting as well. Dollar falling aggressively as we anticipate maybe something happening on a tightening bias at some stage from Ueda-san and others in the Bank of Japan. Uh, the oil price got a bit of a boost. Yay! Cheaper in dollar terms as well. But let's be brutally honest about it. A lot of pressure uh, on the price of crude at the moment. Concern about the demand side of the equation. Let's find out what's going on in the markets with Michael Yoshikami, CEO of Destination Wealth Management. Mr. Yoshikami, easy question for you. What on earth happened to the Fed? Uh, they're talking interest rates down. They're talking a recession um, out of being by just basically using dovish language. I think the Fed, the Fed not only does interest rates, or uses interest rates to affect economic change, but they also use their uh, bully pulpit. And that's what they did today. I, like you, was shocked that they were as explicit as they were about how much they're going to be um, lowering. I, I expected three quarters of a percent to one, one, one percent uh, next year. I just didn't think they telegraphed this way. Yeah, they've kind of boxed themselves in a little bit just in case some of that inflation data does remain sticky. Um, why have they done this, Michael? Uh, what, well, you don't know any more than I do, perhaps. But, but what, what changed? And I, the only caveat I've been trying to slip into this conversation, just a bit of a warning for markets that don't take warnings, they're very binary in their assumption, is that does the Fed know something that we don't? Undoubtedly, the yeah. answer is yes. But is it worrying? Well, yeah, that that's... That's the concern, but I don't. I don't think the Fed does. I think that uh, the Fed has seen that inflation is down around three percent right now, uh, and they can afford to be loose with their language to try to ensure that we are going to continue to have some economic growth in the United States. So uh, I, I don't think they're really saying there's some secret crack that we're not aware of. Uh, and let's also remember when you say they paint themselves into a corner, all the Fed has to do is change their mind next week in one speech. So they are notoriously uh, what I would call serial pivoters from one uh, action to another action. So I think this is what they think is going to be helpful to kind of spur the economy so we don't go into a recession. And if, in fact, ne it's necessary, I think they will actually cut rates and continue to talk um, interest rates down. Michael, you know better than I do that they can't just do that. They can't change their mind in a speech next week because this is all about credibility. And when a central they, they change bank... Their mind all the, Steve, they change their mind all the time. Sure, but they've just changed their mind now. The biggest pivot we've seen in over a year, yeah, and possibly exactly. a couple of years. Yeah. And, and, what, and what might happen? Let's say they're wrong, okay? Let's say actually uh, inflation comes in hot. You know what Powell's going to say? He's going to say, you know, after looking at data, we continue to analyze risks in the market, and we will adjust our perspective based on these new inflation numbers, and they'll just change what they're going to do. I don't think you can trust anything the Fed is saying going forward. Um, I, I think it's just one of the inputs, but you have to look at the economy, No, mat no mat not really what the Fed is doing, because they're just trying to manage the economy. And like you said, Steve, I, you and I and the Fed, they, we all know basically the same thing. I mean, it's all guessing at this point. Michael, can we talk about the market co consequences? Because those who are saying that the first quarter next year in terms of a rate cut and more, more aggressive out there in the marketplace, they were looking wrong, wrongly placed about 24 hours ago. Now that we've got signals that there are rate cuts coming, those that were more aggressive around a pivot have been correctly positioned. So what do we do with the rally from here? Uh, well, I think the rally is sustainable as long as inflation um, stays down. In the United States, it's uh, the holiday season, right? So I think um, 
uh, well, I guess everywhere it's holiday season where we want we want to see what the retail sales numbers look like. Wage growth is good here. Earnings expansion is good right now. Uh, employment numbers are good. Will retail sales continue to plug along to help offset what's, ha- what's happening in the housing market? So um, I-, I think we have to look at the economic numbers really to see what the Fed is going to do going forward. And I think this quarter um, and the next 60 days is going to be very, very important, Karen. What do we do in terms of market positioning, though? I mentioned the banks certainly got a leg high yesterday. Tech, it was curious, have they run out of steam? Do we need to think about some of the laggards out there now? Yeah, the point you guys made earlier about how uh, interest rates go up, we say wonderful net interest margins, interest rates go down, we say wonderful, the banks are looking at a better economy. Um, That's why you have to take these sort of predictions with a grain of salt. But I think from a positioning standpoint, the sectors that we think make sense, obviously, not obviously, but our technology, um, our financial services, um, I do think you have to be careful. So dividend-oriented staples and pharmaceuticals that have really been a pretty horrible uh, performing asset class. But those dividends are going to start to look a lot more appealing if the 10-year treasury is at three and a half than if the 10-year treasury is at five. So dividends are going to matter, I think, going into a lower interest rate environment, if in fact that's what happens. Michael, there's been a real tug of war in investing. I think it's fair to say in the last number of months where investors now have been looking at fixed income, saying that has been the trade that they are positioning around for 2024. But did we just get most of the work done for us in the past 24 hours? Has that trade already just been unlocked where the market thought they'd have to sit on it for a little bit longer than what we've just had? Yeah, well, I think I think uh, you're talking about duration risk, duration bets, right? So we've actually, uh, in some cases, actually reduced, uh, excuse me, increased our duration. Um, in fact, just recently we did um, increase our duration because we think interest rates are going down. So I don't think um, I don't think the bond rally is over. I think there are still enough people skeptical enough to keep the ten-year Treasury above four percent. But if the Fed does follow through, you're going to see a huge bond rally and. And cash, which has been so wonderful, won't look quite so appealing if bond investments go up 5%, plus you get a 5% interest rate. Um, Michael, why? I was going to, oh, I don't know which sector to pick. You've, okay, I'll ask all three. Why underweight energy utilities and consumer discretionary? There you go. Uh, because I'm not convinced that the economy is going to scream forward. Uh, so consumer discretionary, I think, is an area. Uh, you know, like automakers, for example, is consumer discretionary. I think they're going to continue or they're going to struggle in a slower environment. And I think energy is, if in fact the economy of economies in the world are slowing down, and we certainly know China is slowing down, um, plus what's happening in Europe and United States, inflation rate going down, I think there's going to be pressure um, on energy prices. And I think you've already started to see that energy prices, I think, hit a, if I'm not mistaken, hit a four or five month low here just recently. So, Um, I think there's still going to be softness in the energy market. Uh, And I think that's going to be completely related to uh, the slowdown in global economy. Michael, just a a deeper dive into China as we get set up for next year. It wasn't the story to trade in 2023. Do you expect any improvements next year? No, I don't. Uh, Yeah, I'm very connected with people in China, uh, as you are, Karen, when you were in Singapore. Um, And... um, I just think there's real systemic problems in China. We have a philosophical government versus a financially focused government. We have a housing market that is really kind of blowing up. I was talking to someone in China the other day. Their um, flat, their apartment actually went down 10%. In China, real estate doesn't go down. It is now. 
So uh, I think China is going to struggle and I think it's going to impact surrounding regions as well. Michael, we've got to do that trip again in 2024. We've got to head back to Singapore and dive into the China Absolutely. story together. <laughs> Michael Yoshikami with us, CEO Destination Wealth Management. Coming up on the show, it's a central bank bonanza with decisions on the way from the BOE, ECB, SNB and Norges Bank. We'll get you set up with what to expect after the break. Sylvia will be in Brussels as EU leaders gather for the last time this year to hash out aid for Ukraine. And we'll hear exclusively from Deutsche Bank's Alex von Zermullen after Germany's governing coalition finally approved a draft budget. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. So that was the third. Now we're counting down to the Bank of England's rate decision today with the central bank uh, all but certain to hold rates after worse than expected growth data on Wednesday showed a 0.3% contraction in the UK economy in October. According to a Reuters poll, analysts expect the Bank of England to begin cutting rates in the second quarter, whilst markets are pricing more than a full percentage point of cuts through next year. Well, don't miss our live coverage uh, of the Bank of England's decision kicking off at midday London time. We'll also be closely watching two more central bank decisions this morning. 9.30 Central European time, we'll hear from the SNB, the Swiss National Bank, widely expected to keep rates on hold for the second straight meeting. Then, Half an hour later, the Norge Bank will reveal its own decision, with a Reuters poll showing a narrow majority of analysts expecting rates to remain on hold. Both central bank governors will join CNBC to explain their decisions later today. Uh, so the big question is whether the Fed will pass on that baton. There is the big one coming too. The ECB makes its last rate decision of the year at 14.15 CET. It is widely expected to keep rates on hold for the second time in a row. But watchers will be looking for any signs of indicating bets that it will be the first of the major central banks to cut rates in the new year. Inflation has come down sharply in recent months, with November's headline figure closing in on the target level at 2.4%. Meanwhile, the core figure is down to just 3.6%. According to Deutsche Bank, the market is expecting the first cut early in the new year and estimates that the deposit rate will fall from its current level of 4% all the way to 2.5% by the end of 2024. Also adding to those dovish calls is the prospect of a downturn in the euro area next year. The ECB is widely expected to dial back its growth expectations when it publishes its latest forecast today. Let's get out to Aneta for more from Frankfurt. Aneta, big question I think for markets is whether we get a Christine Lagarde pivot as well today over at the ECB. 
I think those analysts are a little bit over-optimistic over about the ECB's uh, tendency to actually signal rate cuts as soon as March next year. Uh, what we are expecting to hear from them, that they're sticking on their data dependency approach and that when the data is ripe, so to say, and we are over that tricky winter period, because that could push inflation again higher and core inflation, and that the trend of core inflation is still um, far too high for the taste of the ECB to actually signal rate cuts, as I said, as soon as March. So I think we still need a bit of patience, but then the ECB should be acting, of course, because an overshooting of the rate hiking is also not warranted, given what it means for um, the economy and also for a potential um, yeah, lowering of inflation expectation. That is something uh, what should be prevented, of course, as well. Um, I think what we get today is um, a discussion or perhaps even a decision of an early end to the reinvestment of the PEP program. That's all a bit technical now. But um, the, the move to end that early is also a signaling that the next big thing will be a rate cut because you should end the reinvestments before you go into the rate cutting cycle. Otherwise, you have like um, a, a yet different, uh, different si signals coming from monetary policy effects on the market. So, um, And I think that is what we should get today as an early sign that things are going to move in the cutting uh, direction. Yesterday evening, I caught up with uh, the board member of Deutsche Bank, Alex von Zumühlen, who is responsible for Germany, for Asia. So he has a global, um, global view on things and also what monetary policy, the interest rate mean for the banks and the financial industry as such. And I, Because, of course, it's so important and it has been such support for banks' profitability, the higher rates. Um, I had to ask him as well what it will mean for the industry if the, the, the central banks now go in the uh, reverse direction and perhaps even on a, an, on a fast move in the re reverse direction. So ask him what the potential cutting cycle means for the bank. The fact that interest rates can rise or can uh, reduce is uh, an ordinary course of action and is part of a, a prudent risk management that, that the bank uh, and other capital market participants need, need to do. Um, you're right, uh, it has created tailwind for the financial industry more broadly, um, but one should also say it had created a significant headwind in the 10 years before when in particular in the Eurozone we've been operating with a negative interest rate environment that obviously has burdened quite a heavy cost uh, on the industry. Um, I think the expectation that uh, interest rates and central bank rates, to be precise, will, will be cut over the course of 24 is a realistic one. Uh, the good news is that monetary policy does work. It does function. We've seen a sharp decline of inflation in the Western world over the last couple of quarters. And that gives space for central banks to then create impetus and stimulus later in 24, so call it end of Q2, 24 onwards, to cut rates uh, for the more. For us as a bank, that means obviously that you know, our pricing of activities, both on the asset liability side, need to, uh, need to continue uh, accordingly. Um, but uh, I think it's also important to say that whilst currently the market expectation is quite consensus-oriented that you know, central bank rates will be cut, 
one should not um, lose the eye uh, of the fact that you know, there are still risk factors that might lead to a deviation from the expected interest rate path. And the most obvious one being, should inflation, the genie indeed not have been successfully mm. put back into the bottle, then the, the scope for central banks to cut rates swiftly will, will be very limited. But if we, let's stick to the scenario, rates will be cut, will that also be positive for, in your view, for, the, for consumption, for broader economic outlook and also for M&A activity? I think it's, uh, it will depend uh, uh, not only where interest rates will be on the short end, i.e. defined by central banks, but also on the long end, and then where inflation will sit. Mm. If you look at uh, today's environment, uh, with inflation have come down uh, quite a bit and interest rates being where we are, for the first time in a long time, we're dealing with a uh, positive uh, real rate environment uh, in the Eurozone. And as one would expect, this has been uh, slowing indeed the, the speed of circulation of money and it does lead to a deterioration of consumption. So depending on inflation and the expected level of inflation, a reduction of central bank rates should usually uh, lead to an improvement of consumption, at least that is the expectation. But uh, we, we also need to be realistic that the sensitivity or the, let us say, the, the reaction level in the Eurozone to a move of interest rates with respect to consumption usually has not been as high as in other locations like in the US where the effect of leverage on a private individual level is historically much higher than in Europe. So as I said before, today it's not the time and not the, the session of the ECB that, that will most likely bring us a clear path of interest rate cuts for next year. But I think today is the day when we are going to hear um, perhaps an early end to the PEP reinvestment cycle, but also perhaps an outlook for next year, um, given that the Fed has moved a step ahead uh, in signaling rate cuts. Um, the ECB might refrain from it because it's not their style. Um, it's not their forward guidance on rates, what they have been doing uh, all the months now in the past, ever since they scrap forward guidance is to say they are data dependent. And again, today we are going to get a round of staff projections, which most likely will see a severe downward reaction of economic growth projections. And in March, there is more like visibility, how inflation is actually um, yeah, panning out, especially unit labor costs are a concern to the ECB because those are on the rise. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com or join us again on the show with me, Steve Sedgwick, and Karen Cho, weekdays on CNBC.